So we're talking about Passover people this morning. I'll let you know how it's going to go because when I'm a listener, I like to know kind of how it's going to go. I'm going to make some general Passover comments that we're going to have a long Bible reading, which should be the highlight of our time together. And then I'll make some more comments about that Passover as God's freedom festival and how we live that out today in light of what God did at the first Passover, but how Christ has fulfilled that and also how the Bible points to how even at the very end of the age when Jesus returns, there's a strong Passover theme. It's, it's who we are. So Passover is a word we use um, as opposed to the common cultural references of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And that's deliberate. We're doing that for many years now because we want to be as connected as, as we can to the biblical narrative. And of course, we know you don't read anything Good Friday or Easter Sunday in, in the script God's given us. So we want to immerse ourselves in biblical language. So that's why we love to talk about Passover and recognize that actually Jesus chose Passover. He chose a time to lay down his life. No one took it from him. We know that, right? In his sovereignty. And of all the days he could have picked, he chose the 14th day of a Hebrew month called Nisan, which had thousands of years of history all the way back to that first Passover where the lamb's blood was supplied, was put on the door and the, the angel of death passed over the Israelites while all the firstborn sons of Egypt died. And that was the beginning of the Exodus where they were set free. So Jesus chose Passover. So that's why we want to be a Passover people. We want to have that language. We want to immerse ourselves in that aspect of the story. So, some of you may have an idea of the biblical calendar if you've been tracking with us for a few years. I know others are new and this idea that of a biblical calendar, really, it may be new. Uh, you know, we have a modern church calendar. We have, you know, it's the season of Lent, which is kind of uh, 40 days looking towards Easter. But if we go way back to what God gave the people of Israel, there's so much value in that for us encountering who God is, what he has done, what he will do, and who Jesus is specifically as the, the full revelation of God. So I'm not going to uh, read it to you, but in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 23, that's where, if you're taking notes, that's where you find the most concise list of this rhythm of life God gave to his people, his biblical calendar, and said, this is, this is how you're to live. This is how you're to be my people. And, and just remember, when God was giving them instructions like that, you know, you get to out of the, the exodus into the laws, the Leviticus, the Deuteronomy, what God's doing is he's taking a, a crew of a motley crew of slaves and forming them into a nation of priests. We had a series recently talking about the kingdom of priests and how Israel was made to be that kingdom of priests that would be a missionary nation, revealing God to all the nations of the earth. So another way to think of God giving the law to Israel, you might want to think of this. He's forming his nation and showing them how to flourish as his people. Often we have such a negative connotation when we think of, oh man, here comes the bit about the law. Now when God gives his instructions to the people of Israel, he's showing them the way to human flourishing. He's showing them how to be his people, to enjoy living within the good boundaries he's set for them so that then they can display him to the world. So think of that when you think of God giving 
instructions for rhythms of life. This is how you're to live. This is the people you're to be. These are the things you are to do. He's giving them an identity. I'm going to ask you to tell me what Leviticus 23 says, because I know there's a number of you who can, who can list this off. There are a number of rhythms of life that God says, this is how you're to live. What is the first one? Leviticus chapter 23. Sabbath. Very good. I was kind of hoping that would be like the trick question and they would all jump to Passover, but we have a, a man of the word in our midst. Sabbath, the, the foundation to God's way of life as he's just taking slaves and forming them to his people is Sabbath. Because, of course, when you're a slave, you don't get Sabbath, do you? You work seven days. There are no breaks. So one of the things he does to them is says, this is the foundation for flourishing as my people. There are six days when you can work, but the seventh day is a day of rest. And I simplify that down to a day to play and to pray, a day to enjoy what God's given and a, a day to enjoy being with God. So Sabbath is the foundational rhythm of life. And that, that's the weekly reminder. Stop. Don't try to be in control of everything. Remember, he made it all. He's the God who created in six days and then he rested and we enter into that pattern. You can't go against the, the grain of the creator of the universe without getting a few splinters. So if you're going to try and be a seven days a week person, it's, it's not going to end well. Sabbath is a gift to us. And then he goes into a list of seven annual festivals or feasts, these rhythms of life to help God's people know their story, know their God. So the first of these annual ones is Passover. And as Passover begins, so begins a week-long festival called Unleavened Bread, the seven-day festival of Unleavened Bread. And then first fruits, so the, the first fruits of the harvest, signaling the rest of the harvest is about to come in. And then 50 days after that, we have Pentecost or Shavuot. And then the other end of the year, there's another group of three festivals, starting with the day of trumpets, then the 10 days later, the day of atonement, and then there's a week-long celebration, a high point in their year as a nation, the festival of shelters or tabernacles or booths, the building those little shelters to remember God's provision for them. So you can find that list in uh, Leviticus 23, if that's unfamiliar to you. We have a phrase that we've used over the years, and if that can be on screen, um, and if you can say that with me, we, we look at these festivals and we say they are God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story centered on God's Son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. It's quite the mouthful, but it's a good articulation of what God was doing when he gave these days, these rhythms of life to his people. When we have rhythm, we don't suffer the noise, the chaos of just noise, just, uh, I don't know what's hitting me next. When we have rhythm, when we have rhythm in our music, there's a sense of direction. And in these festivals, there's a rhythm of life. There's like a build-up 
And the climax of the song God's wanting his people to know is his son and what he's going to do through his son, how he's going to restore all of creation. There's no plan B for the earth. He's bringing it back to the original plan A, free from suffering, free from death, restored to perfection, and he's doing it through his son. And so these annual rhythms create a sense of direction and bring us back in the swirl of life to, oh, yeah, that's what God did. And these are reminders of what God will do. So these dates, just a a quick overview before we get to our Bible reading. These dates are connected to real events in their life. So when the, the Israelite guy's son comes to him and says, why is it Passover today? He can say, well, this is the story. This really happened. We slaughtered the lambs. We painted the blood on the door. The angel of death passed over us. And this was the moment. This was the tipping point where we as a nation were released from slavery and God delivered us. This is our story. Uh, when they came and they said, why are we eating unleavened bread this week? Because a week, a week without yeast, a yeast-free week. Okay, even today you go to Israel on Passover Eve, so in a couple of weeks, the grocery stores will be clearing their shelves because even though they're a secular nation, there's, there's a history here, there's a story here that they understand this is part of where we came from and they tell the story even today. Why are we eating unleavened bread? Because we're no longer slaves. We had to rush to get out of there because God was doing it. That was the night. That was the moment it happened. And we didn't have time for the bread to rise. We didn't have time to bake it as normal. So now we eat it. We clean it out of our homes. We eat it without the yeast. And we remember, this is what God did. This is who we are. And first fruits. Why is it first fruits, Dad? Son, it's because God is our provider. It's God who brought us to a land of freedom. It's God who gives us these crops to harvest and enjoy. It's God who will be faithful to us in our future. So this is the story. This is the rhythm of life that God has. And as we follow that through the scriptures and we reach the story of Messiah, we know that these are like shadows Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. These are like shadows that were highlighting what was to come. Rehearsals, as it says in our phrase on the screen, rehearsals for what was to come, what God was to do. So when Israel uh, lived out these festivals, and by the way, they didn't do it that well. If you track through the history of, of the Old Testament, they They weren't all that observant. It was kind of ebb and flow and rise and fall. But when they did, they were knowingly rehearsing the faithfulness of God. But what they were unknowingly rehearsing was that God was going to break in. On these very days in the future, there was going to be a Passover lamb slain. And there was going to be blood poured out. And it was going to be for release from eternal death. And there was going to be an unleavened one and an an untainted one who would go into the tomb on the very day that unleavened bread began. And he would be the fulfillment of that promise, no longer slaves, no longer in chains. And on the day of first fruits, the day when the priest would bring a a first fruit offering from the harvest to say, thank you, Lord, and and bring it as as an offering in the presence of God. On that very day, which is also the day that the Red Sea split open before the nation of Israel. On that very day, 
the father would open up the grave and the son would come forth as the first fruits of a resurrection. I'm not going to delve further into the, the way Jesus has fulfilled the Passover details. That will come through in, in the coming weeks. But I hope that whets your appetite for those of you who this may be an unfamiliar subject. These were days of remembrance and days of rehearsal for a new exodus. Exodus isn't just some historical thing that is good to make epic movies about. We are Exodus people. We are Passover people. I am going to invite my friend Chloe to come and bring a Bible reading to us. One of the best storytelling voices going around. So I've given her lots of readings. Um, so they will be on the screen if you want to track through them. But this is a good chunk of the story of Exodus to, to help us remember the first Passover. Thank you, Chloe. Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 14. A nation of slaves. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Exodus chapter 3 verses 9 to 12. The Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush. Look. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. 
under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Exodus chapter 12 verses 21 to 41. The final plague and the Lord's Passover. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord you have requested. As Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go and bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, 
and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, where they were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Exodus chapter 14 verses 5 to 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with them. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Give Chloe a hand. Thank you, Chloe. Do you ever have those moments where you begin to pray and then you realize you're praying to the same God who did all this stuff? I had one of those moments this morning. Just, you know, I get up and I speak with the Lord every day, but I just had that awareness of this is the God who split the Red Sea. This is the God of all those plagues. He's powerful. He's mighty. There's so many things to ponder in the words Chloe's just read for us. Let me see if I can break my remaining comments down into a very short sermon. Three things. Firstly, Passover is God's freedom festival and freedom is for worship. Freedom is for worship. Secondly, unleavened bread is a reminder that you're no longer a slave and so now it's time to start thinking like a free person. Unleavened bread, those days of yeast-free eating, is an embodiment of the story. You're no longer a slave. It's time to learn to think like you're no longer a slave. And finally, number three, when you feel like you've stepped out of Egypt into a Red Sea, 
God is still the God who will fight for us. That's it. Should we pray and go home? Some of you are saying yes, but before you say it out loud, let me continue. Just elaborate a little bit on those three things. Passover is God's freedom festival. Our generation is very confused about freedom. Would you agree? We are great at fighting for noble causes, but we are also great at getting ourselves into the same or more trouble than we were in before we were liberated. Uh, Andrew Wilson wrote a book called Echoes of Exodus, and I've got a quote for the screen. He says, Our generation is confused as to the nature of true freedom. No matter how often we experience liberation from constraints, limitations, and oppression, we still find ourselves falling into new forms of bondage. He goes on, he says, Our redemption story is one in which freedom from is inextricably bound up with freedom to. Or another way to say that, freed from something, but what are you freed for? God's people are Exodus people. So we know both the pain of oppression and the dangers of compromise, idolatry, and immorality in the wilderness. We also know there's little point in being free from serving Pharaoh if we are not also free to serve the Lord. So Passover is God's freedom festival. Whether we reference that first great Passover or we fast forward to that ultimate Passover act of Jesus on the cross and the liberation, he is secured by his blood. We're freed from something, but we're not freed to self-expression. We're not freed to do it our way, live my best life. No, we're freed to become who we were created to be, worshippers. It's not just for a leaf. It's not just so I can go, oh, now I can get comfortable. The nation of Israel was freed from slavery so they could be an army of worshippers, a kingdom of priests, and reveal God to the world as they did that. So our redemption story is about freedom from and freedom to something. In the Festival of Unleavened Bread, there's this reminder we've been talking about. You know, when some of you have done an extended fast, you do a fast for a day, it's good. It's good to have a, I'm an advocate of, of a weekly rhythm of fasting, maybe one day a week set aside in that way. But when you extend your fast to three days or seven days, or some of you have done longer fasts, it really hits you in a different way, doesn't it? It's, you can't just look forward to lunch tomorrow. It's like, yes, I can have lunch tomorrow. It's like, next week? Are you kidding me? God, have mercy on me. So God, God chose in, in his sovereignty and his wisdom seven days for them to do this yeast-free living. And I was joking with someone yesterday. I said, that's kind of an Australian's nightmare fast. No beer, no bread for a week. It's a joke. But God said to them, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat unleavened bread those seven days. Nothing with yeast is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. So this is really like extreme. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did 
for me. And I just, I just think as they're going through those seven days, year after year, generation after generation, it's the daily reminder for all that week. No, we're different. Something's different. Something changed and now I'm different. And the message I want to get across is as they're eating and living that out, they're living the reality that we've got Sabbaths because there's Sabbaths in the Festival of Unleavened Bread. There's a change to their rhythm of work. We're eating differently. Something has changed. Our status has changed. Our identity has changed. We are not slaves anymore. We are free people. 430 years is a long time to be enslaved as a people. I struggle to relate to their plight, and, and you probably do as well. Even in the, the Passover night, I struggle to relate to that because what what was that like to be just to know generational oppression and then be told tonight is the night. Tonight is the night where it all changes. Maybe a, a prisoner of war could relate to this who's been in a, in a camp in some remote place and they've heard the war is over and they've heard tonight is the night when the gates will be opened. Maybe someone who's been imprisoned and come to the end of their sentence, you get told tonight's the night, you get to go home. This is the sense that they have. But shifting from a slave mentality to a person of freedom, this, this is a difficult thing. And this is, this is the message of unleavened bread that Paul taps into in 1 Corinthians. If I can have that scripture on the screen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's wrestling with these pastoral issues in the church in Corinth. Not a, not a Jewish church, but he's still going to bring in these elements of Passover and unleavened bread because we're all Passover people now through Jesus. And they've been dealing with some really intense sexual sin. And what he's going to go to them in, in the Passover language is, you're not slaves anymore. Get rid of the old way and live as you really are. I'll read it to you from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6. He says, Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I love the line in this verse 7. As you really are. Get rid of the old so that you may be the new unleavened batch. So he's, he's moving beyond you can eat this and you can't eat this in, in unleavened bread. He's saying, no, I want you to embody this in the way you live. Unleavened bread is about you're no longer a slave. And you haven't been freed just to live as you want to leave, live. Corinthians, this is your problem. You've, you're going, oh, thank God for the grace and the mercy and now I live how I want to live. No, you're not freed for self-expression. You're freed to surrender yourself to Jesus as Lord. You've been made an unleavened batch. That yeast is a symbol of sin. You track it through the scriptures. You can see the metaphor of yeast and leaven being the sin, something tainted, something unclean. And Paul's saying, no, you've been set free from that. You've been made clean. You're unleavened. Now be what Jesus made you to be. Passover is for you. You're Passover people too, Corinthians. Christ is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. We've been set free from the ultimate slavery, the ultimate eternal death. We've been set free from that. Now 
live as unleavened. You are freed from that to be worshippers, to be his. So in this festival, I, I imagine as he's writing this letter, it would be the Passover festival time, and that's why he's bringing it up, probably. But he's saying, as you know, your Jewish brothers, you see them doing this. I want you to engage with this as an unleavened people. Be who you are. Stop thinking that you can go do whatever you want or stop thinking you're just a victim who's just subject to whatever's going around, whatever the, the tone of the culture is. That's how you're going to live. No, you're a free people. Be unleavened. Get rid of the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness. Choose sincerity. Choose truth. Get rid of the old yeast so you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. A new creation. So again, 400 years of slavery, that gets into your bones, that gets into your thinking. And so for the Israelites, as they leave Egypt and start to head towards the promised land, they've got to undo the slave mindset. And God's going to help them. And I felt this morning that God wanted to highlight unleavened bread to us as a community as a reminder that you're no longer slaves and to encourage you, choose freedom in your thinking. Choose to fight the lies. Don't energize the lies by agreeing with them. Come into alignment with the status change you've had through Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb slain for you. Jen, my wife, gave me permission to, to share some of her story as an example of being someone who in her teenage years and even in her 20s wrestling with the, we'll call it the slavery of fear and anxiety, feeling enslaved to that, right? And at times it was debilitating. And, you know, she had medication and all that for years and years. It was uh, just such a, a, a slave mentality there, yet God was working with her and on her and she encountered God as the deliverer, right? But you had to walk that out and you knew you had a new identity. You knew you had a status change, but she had to come into alignment in this unleavened bread kind of way of that. No, the old is gone. The new has come. I'm going to be as Christ has made me to be. And it's not a switch that she could flick. It was more years of learning to think as a free person, right? And to reject every Lie, time that lie would come and say you can't do that because you're a fearful person is that making sense to you you can't do that because they don't care you're not loved that no one will care you can't do that because you're not worthy who do you think you are to get up here and speak to other people any number of lies that we entertain and we all go through it and i feel like in all the imagery and all the places we can go and seeing what God does in his Passover Freedom Festival. I feel like he wants to speak to some of you. You're not a victim. You're not a slave. It's time to be as you are. Stop empowering the lies. Start filling yourself with the truth. And he will help you. Start to think as a free person and start to live that out. He's the one who does the deliverance. He's the one who does the healing and the restoration. He won't do your part. He's going to give you grace to do your part. Another way, another picture for this is this bird in the cage. If I can have that. 
I, uh, hopefully that's obvious. The message there is if you would just begin to move, you're already free. Why stay in the cage? And I feel like there's, there's people here today that God's just wanting to encourage you. The door is open. Free out. Go, go out because you're free and begin to learn to fly. We come back to the, the language of 1 Corinthians 5 and we say, because of Christ, I really am part of this new unleavened batch. Without sin, slavery is gone. Slavery to fear, slavery to lust, slavery to pride. That's not who I am anymore. And even when other people might speak that over you and you say, oh, but you're a fearful person. I know Jen, that was part of her story as well, learning to stand up and say, uh, I know you remember me as being the fearful person for the last 10 years, but actually, no, I'm, I'm free. I'm not a fearful person. And I don't know how you would have expressed that, but just not giving any airtime to those lies. You know what I'm saying? In 2 Corinthians 5, we read that Jesus, this is, this is an unleavened bread picture. God made this sinless man to be a sin offering on our behalf so that in union with him, we might fully share in God's righteousness. So Christ comes to us as a picture of that unleavened one. He's the only one who is untainted where yeast and leaven becomes a picture of sin. He's the unleavened one and he becomes the one filled with our sin so that we could be free, the great exchange. God made this sinless man, this unleavened one, to be a sin offering on our behalf so that in union with him we might fully share in God's righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what part of what it means to be Passover people. Freed from slavery for worship. Now let's start thinking as free people. Let's start acting to fight those lies and fight that slave mentality. Even if it's generations long, God can do it. We're not victims anymore. We're an army, an army of worshippers. The, the third one is about this Exodus 14 Red Sea experience and the God who fights for us. And we sang that, that new song today. I won't forget. You're the God who fights for me. The God who tears apart the sea. And we, we, we sing that as a declaration of what God has done to, to secure our internal inheritance, our salvation. But there's also another picture in there of people getting set free from slavery and they get marched out to a Red Sea and they actually can't do anything to get through army on one side ocean on the other and you know a couple of days i mean I, it's easy to criticize the hebrews and we like didn't you just see 10 plagues and just escape from egypt like where is your faith but i think we're probably a little more like them than we like to admit but here they are. They've seen the ten plagues. They've seen the decimation of Egypt. They've plundered Egypt. Egypt's pretty much given all their wealth, as much as they can carry, to these people. And by the way, they're going to use that wealth to build a tabernacle and be this this mobile worship unit in the wilderness. Um, God set that all up. But here they come to a Red Sea. And I feel like another encouragement from the Lord this morning is that 
If we use that bird in the cage picture, you might feel like you've flown out of the cage and now you're in a hurricane. You might feel like you've left Egypt and now you're at that Red Sea. And I just you're, the, only, the only way forward is for God to bring the breakthrough. Issues of, of healing, issues of loved ones we're trusting for salvation. I want to say, as much as circumstances look impossible, he's still the God of the impossible. We have to get out of the treating the narrative as, well, that's a nice story, and I've known that my whole life. Like for me, growing up in church, I've known that my whole life, and I have to say, God, give me revelation that you are still the God of the Exodus, who you can split a sea. You can turn an impossible situation into something that I can't. You can bring the breakthrough. And in Exodus 15, we have the song of Moses. So Exodus 14, they're at the Red Sea. Chloe read to us those verses about, don't be afraid, stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And of course, we know the story. Don't have time to go into it, but it's an awesome uh, passage to meditate on just even logistically what's going on and who God was present in the midst of that encounter. And then Exodus 15, they break into song. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Do you know that? That's Exodus 15. You get to Revelation 15. You get to the last plagues poured out upon the earth. And there's another song of Moses. But this time it's the song of Moses and the Lamb, Revelation 15. Because it's the same dynamic. There's going to be an end time people who will go through great trouble, but they are going to see the God who delivers them, who brings a breakthrough. When they're standing at Red Seas and there's nowhere forward, God is going to split them open and they are going to sing with Moses. And I don't know how it works if Moses is up there saying, Jesus, I sang this really cool song on the earth. Back in the Exodus, do you want to add an extra verse with me? I don't know if they're collaborating to write their song, but it says, the song of Moses and the Lamb, there's going to be an end time people. They're going to be victorious over the beast and its image and the number of its name, and they're going to hold the harps given by God and sing the song of God's servant Moses and of, and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The people who are singing this song, if we track with the book of Revelation, are witnessing the worst time the earth has ever witnessed. And they are standing as ones who overcome. They are standing as ones who say, no, you're the God who fights for us. And you're able to bring us through. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord. So I want to say to those who may be in the room or online who feel like you're out of, you're out of the cage and now you're in the hurricane. You're out of Egypt. Now you're at the Red Sea. And you're just, you're just like, God, what next? To hear the words of Exodus 14. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So I want to say to you, stand firm and don't give up and keep praying and keep singing and anticipate the breakthrough of God. I'm not, I'm not 
advocating a name it, claim it. I'm not saying it's going to happen in an instant, but I'm saying anticipate the God of the breakthrough by singing his praises today. If you're in Exodus 14 today, start to sing Exodus 15 today. If you're feeling like the world is crashing in on you, start to sing Revelation 15 today, the song of Moses and of the Lamb, great and marvelous of your deeds. Don't retreat into slave mentality. Don't retreat into, oh, why did you bring me here? It would have been better if I just died in Egypt. That's where the Israelites went. Now, you've been freed from something to be freed for something, and he has plans and purposes for you, and he is able to accomplish them. In your family, where, where, you're trusting, where you're crying, I know there's people crying out for salvation for your children or other loved ones. He is able. Don't give up. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Sing the song of the Lord who is the deliverer. He is still the God who fights. Battles over, over health issues. Sing the song of the Lamb who's able. He's able. And as we don't know how long the delay is sometimes. They didn't. I mean, 430 years of slavery, we go, why, God, couldn't you have just done what you need to do in 30 years? God knows what he's doing. He is sovereign. He is wise. He is good. We don't know how long the delay is, but he is always merciful in the delay, and he is always able to preserve you as long as that divine delay is, and you can trust him. It's going to work out for greater good. And I know this is easy for me to say up here, and it's, it's so much harder to live out, but this morning... Can we, can we stand and as the worship team comes up, can we pray? Pray for this for ourselves. Pray this for our community. Pray this for people who are needing to know they are Passover people today, that the God of the Exodus is still their God. He is still able. And actually, I want to invite us to respond by, if people want to come forward just as an act of, that unleavened bread act to say, I want to be the new batch as I really am. Like Paul said, I want to get rid of the old yeast. I want to get rid of the slave mentality. I've been set free and I want to take my place and stand up and stand firm as one who's set free to be a worshiper. If, if you're in that and you want someone to pray with you, come on forward and, and we'll pray with you. And for others where you're needing someone to pray with you this morning, just to keep contending, keep standing firm. And your Red Sea situation, as I said, the two that came to my mind was issues of health and issues of, of our loved ones where we're grieving that they're still far from God. If you want someone to stand with you and pray with you to split that Red Sea and to keep you steady as you wait for that sea to be opened, come on forward and we'll, we'll pray with you. So, Lord, we just come and, and humble ourselves in your presence. And Lord, we just, have, we just have weak words, but, God, I have a sense that you're really wanting to encounter our hearts in this moment, this morning, as the Passover King, as the God of the Exodus as the God who brings these breakthroughs. So would you come, Holy Spirit, right now and, and just, I know you've been working this morning. I know you're present with us. But in this moment, God, whatever you're wanting to do, we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe there's ones you want to just add strength to them today to stand firm, to be still, 
to stand firm until that deliverance comes. Lord, would you come and help them? I believe there's people here who are going to have a shift out of agreeing with the slave mentality and the victim mentality, and they're going to shift into a place of saying, no, I am shielded by God. I am strengthened by God. I am upheld by God. I am not my own. I'm not that fearful person. I'm not that I'm not that anymore. I'm made new.